So welcome to our next installment of our Lenten Dante series. We can say with great joy that we've uh, escaped hell. Uh, we've climbed up the back of the devil or down the back, or we've made our way out of hell. That's what's important. And we'll now approach Mount Purgatory. Uh, again, my name is Matt Chaminsky, uh, joined by Paul Camacho here for um, the series through Dante's wonderful imaginative work uh, from hell all the way up to paradise that we're spending with him uh, these weeks in Lent and into Easter. And uh, today we're going to have a breath of fresh air. But looking back at the Inferno, uh, Paul, I was thinking uh, I was driving to work on Friday morning and was my mind was just so full of a tangle of just whatever. Uh, Nothing like overly dramatic or burdensome it just you know and I, I was driving along and I actually looked up which was important you know instead of just <laughs> the tunnel vision forward on the road and, and figuratively as well and I looked up into the trees and it was a beautiful early morning winter sky and you know just the, the bare trees made me think well that's kind of like a dark wood isn't it like this <laughs> this tank this inner mental tangle mm-hmm. um that you just get lost in and consumed by. And you look around, you're like, what, what was I just thinking about? And um, I know for myself, that's a tendency I can have. And so maybe part of Dante's psychology is just highlighting that. And just the importance to look up and look around, like physically, like literally look up, look around, try to quiet the mind. And um, I don't know. I just, I thought that was uh, an interesting moment for myself at least. Yeah, I think we have these sort of Dantean moments, and we've spoken of this before, but Dante is, um, in some ways, he's doing something so imaginative and creative that it's um, something completely new. In other ways, he's just he's just drawing on these really human experiences, um, We, you know, everything from just sort of reminding ourselves to look up again. It reminded me of something I came across actually this past week in my reading, a suggestion from an author that um, human beings, because we stand upright, we're sort of constantly fighting against gravity. And this has shaped actually the way that we think of transcendence and of the divine, so that naturally we think of God as above us because we're always sort of striving to move upwards. And mm-hmm. I think Dante's just playing with that image and we're about to encounter a mountain that sort of stretches up into the sky and it's something that we have to ascend but it's also an invitation to look up um, to remind ourselves that there's something outside of ourselves right absolutely um and so we'll still be with virgil our guide um and dante's guide uh but i was wondering if you could select your guide um whomever it might be who, who would it be <laughs> who would it be and why Right. Well, um, it's a good question. There are some criteria, I think, if we're going to follow what Dante did, right? Dante mm-hmm. picked, intentionally picked a pagan, um, in part, I think, to, to trouble us <laughs> um, and, and to make us sort of think that God's ways are not, are not our ways. I think Dante also picked someone who inspired his own art, as he says, right? That, that Virgil was the author and, and father who inspired his art even before he encountered him in the afterlife. So I think um, the only person who would fit that well for me would have to be Socrates. 
I think, mm-hmm. who I think would be a very good guide, um, although he would probably ask um, many more questions than <laughs> Virgil does. Yeah. Um, I actually had an undergraduate teacher who wrote a book. I'll have to try to find it so we can put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I think it was called The Journey, maybe. But it was about um, Socrates leading the reader through a number of sort of philosophical possibilities for their life and they um and it ultimately culminated in christ um in the in the trinity so maybe someone's already beat me to it but i think that's who i would pick (laughs) um yeah that's a good choice yeah (laughs) yeah who who would you pick matt i was trying to think like what's the criteria and i agree that it can't be someone that's like this uh this actual saint figure right right it can't be that it's got to be someone that has influenced you already uh, but you're still somewhat surprised. I don't. The only person <laughs> I could really come to, um, and I mean, Gandalf would be a good one. But <laughs> that's true. Uh, I thought Bill Murray, like a real life person. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why exactly. I mean, this is Virgil and Bill Murray. Like you know, they they know the truth now, so they're they're going to be a guide, um, uh-huh. <laughs> truthful guide. But I think the the one liners and quips would be great with him. Um, that that would be a lot of fun. There's been a whole um, series of adaptations, some more literal and some very figurative and imaginative, some comic books, etc., of the Divine Comedy, and it okay. forms um, the structure of a lot. And there, there's one that's set in a sort of like capitalist. Um, uh, shopping mall somewhere in San Francisco, I think. And the guide—I can't remember who the guide is—but it's um, it, it does it's a it's a Bill Murray kind of character. Yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty great. Um, yeah, that would be fun. Maybe maybe if he's not doing anything, he could take that on as a passion project. <laughs> right. Although um, you know, I mean, Groundhog Day—I mean, it's not you know the Divine Comedy, but there's something there of. Groundhog Day is the closest to the Purgatorio. Um, mm-hmm. That's for sure. We actually that maybe is a good segue into the into the poem itself. Absolutely. But we should say that it's it's really important for our listeners and for readers of Dante that Purgatory is not a place where you stay forever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's how it's different, I guess, from Groundhog Day. Right. That um, Purgatory, in a really interesting way, in the Divine Comedy as a whole, Purgatory is the only place where something. I don't want to say where something happens because in heaven something is really happening, but purgatory is the only place where there's, let's say, character development for those who live there. And that's because purgatory is the only place that's in time. In hell, there's a kind of stasis, like we saw at the very end, where Satan is frozen in time and the souls there are fixed on their own self-insistence. So there's no growth. There's only eternal torment because they've sort of embraced that part of themselves that leads them to be less than fully human and leads them to reject God. In heaven, of course, we have um, the opposite situation. Heaven is eternal happiness, um, A great, the great sort of song of joy. And um, we'll, we'll see when we get there, but a kind of circling around the divine around the divine that's wholly active, but not with any development. There's a fulfillment there in heaven. But purgatory, purgatory is the place that's closest to our own situation. Purgatory is the place where you move from a death um, that 
ended a life that ended rather in a death um in the grace of god's forgiveness so you embrace god's forgiveness where um when, when there was still time to do so and yet where the soul has not yet left behind the habits um of its former sinning and so purgatory is like the great sort of um gymnasium or something of the mm-hmm. afterlife where you um where you develop and so so time becomes really really important in purgatory um how long you wait how long you circle around each level um there's there's um the sun will rise and set uh you can see the stars um there's there's a sense of um Right? There's a sense that we've re-entered the temporal realm, and that's really crucial in purgatory. So um, so that's the first thing. There's time in purgatory. And the second thing is that purgatory is only a temporary location. At the, in, the, in the fullness of time, in the last judgment, hell will remain eternal, as we saw through over on the gates. And heaven, of course, will remain eternal. But there will be no more need of purgatory. All of those souls that um, uh, made it to purgatory will have then made it to heaven. So everyone that we encounter here from here on out in the play is um, destined for heaven. Right. And it's, um, I guess we should say it's, it's something of a, an inversion or a, <laughs> a, a, an ascent, right. Uh, that is contrary to the descent of, um, of the inferno. Um, That's right. Where ge- we kind of, that's right. Where we had the sort of funnel that went down, now we have a cone that goes upwards. And we we spoke last time about the gravity of sin. The same thing happens here, except of course, um, in hell when we started on the outer realm of hell before we were going down, it was the um, the sins that were not quite as bad on the outside. And as you went down and down, the sins got worse and worse. Now we have the opposite situation. The lowest level of Mount Purgatory is the closest to um, the gravity of sin, the closest to Satan at the core of the earth. And so the lower sins here are the ones that are going to be hardest to overcome. And as you ascend, it actually gets easier and easier to climb because the gravity of sin pulling you down is not quite as strong as you go up um, higher and higher, closer to heaven. So with with that um, being said, Matt, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, everything sort of feels different in the purgatory. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what struck you that was different here than in the it's, inferno. I, I had the same exact sense. It, it, you, it, there's a, it, it, you feel as if there's more air, there's, there's openness. Um, I just get a sense like I'm by the ocean by myself with Virgil and Dante and just taking in, you know, the, this expanse and this great um, horizon and just there's a lightness um, just of being, but also literally like there's actual light, <laughs> which is nice. Right. Um, I could, you go, know, it's like hear the water moving against the shores. And I, I, it seemed like a maritime theme. Like I'm just not quite the beach, but there's this sunlight and hope and verdancy about it. And um, which is totally fitting. It's just really amazing to me that Dante wrote in such a way that hell, as you're reading just the, the words on the page, you feel like you're getting tighter. The air is getting staler or there's less movement. And then when you get to these scenes in the opening of the Purgatorio, you get you just breathe deeper as a reader. It's amazing. It really, really is amazing. Um, 
and I'm not doing it any kind of justice. Um, <laughs> but you're right. The sense is just there. Um, and I feel like I just want to start climbing upward. You know, right. let's, let's just get moving now. Um, let's get moving. Yeah, And that's exactly what is going to happen with our characters. That's right. And um, as you said really beautifully, Dante does this. Dante the poet does it with his language here. Um, he also does it with his images. I mean, the first line, the reason... He, not only are we literally on the shore of an ocean here, remember the Mount Purgatorio is rising up on the southern from the southern tip of the um of the world out of an entire hemisphere of water in Dante's uh, medieval imagination. But he literally says he begins the the Purgatorio by saying to run its course through smoother water. There's that maritime. I mean, mm-hmm. the water is right there, right? The small bark of my wit now hosts hoists its sail leaving that cruel sea behind, right? And so we have, mm-hmm. we have, we're done with the past, we're moving forward, but it's, it's, it's water, right? The, and it's living water, right? It's smoother, right. but it's living, it's the ocean. So it's, it's um, the water of life. And then, and then also he starts to describe the sky. He starts to describe the stars, the planets, the colors come back in. Um, we, mm-hmm. we realize, oh, we haven't seen any colors for <laughs> for thirty four cantos, right? Um, right? We also hear um, things. Uh, we mm-hmm. hear um, the the souls that will be coming. They will be singing, and then we 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 start to realize, oh, the noise that greeted us in the inferno was the slapping of hands and the horrendous wailing and the gnashing of teeth and these horrible sounds, cacophony. Right. And the first thing we hear in Purgatory is um, the sound of, of song, of mm-hmm. um, of harmony, right? Right. The last thing is that we see both in Virgil and in the other characters that we um, encounter, they do something really essential that we haven't seen in the Inferno, and that is um, they smile. <laughs> <laughs> and that simple, they're, they're smiling all the time, and that simple... Um, facial gesture, that communication back and forth means you're encountering another human being who, while still needing to overcome something, has hope again. Um, right. So yeah, everything is is much fresher, um, much yes, brighter. Absolutely. And so on Mount Purgatory, we encounter the person of Cato, who's perplexing in Dante's universe. Um, Right, he's perplexing in in because he's sort of parallel to Virgil. He's a pagan who lived before the time of Christ, and yet here he is on Mount Purgatory, which means, as we were saying, he'll be saved. Um, and I actually think that this is really important. Dante scholars are occupied by Cato for a lot of reasons. Um, the reason Cato is here, among other things, is that he was um, a virtuous pagan. There are these four stars that shine down on him. And they light up his face, and the stars probably represent the four cardinal virtues: um, courage, wisdom, temperance, and justice. So, pagan. Uh, so, Cato was an exemplar of pagan virtue. But why is he here when Virgil is in limbo? I think Dante wants to surprise us here, um, and what he wants to suggest in in hell, there were some surprises about who was damned. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about them, but for example, Dante had this habit of putting um, bishops and popes in some of the deepest circles of hell yeah, because he thought that they, had, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that they had abandoned uh, their their 
um, calling as, as shepherds of the church. So that was a surprise, but arguably maybe a vindictive one. Mm-hmm. Here in purgatory, we're going to encounter people who everyone on earth would think was damned, but instead are saved. And this is the the bright side, so to speak, of God's um, of the surprise that we have in store for us and God's mercy here, mm-hmm. right? That God um, wills for those to be saved who embrace him. So the Cato question is never going to be quite answered, but Cato is here and he is a surprise, our first surprise. And we're kind of put, I think the readers put on alert, oh, we're supposed to expect that there will be more here than we can imagine or anticipate. We haven't mm-hmm. got it all figured out just because we've gone through hell. Right. And thankfully, Cato instructs Virgil to uh, guide Dante down towards the shore, and they pull these reeds out, right? And um, Dante's basically getting cleansed of the the muck, right? The the residue of hell, right? I almost imagine he went through like uh, that's right, over overly industrialized <laughs> Birmingham, England. I don't know something right. soot all over him, Pittsburgh <laughs> of the eighteen hundreds, right? And just getting it all washed <laughs> off. Um, so right. we have this theme of cleansing that's introduced and renewal and uh, washing away, which is which is all good. And we could go even further and we could say that what we have here in the very beginning of the Purgatorio is our first instance of a sacrament, of mm-hmm. the sacrament of baptism. Right. In fact, Dante, um, Virgil is instructed by Cato. Um, Cato says, go then and make sure you gird him. He's speaking to Virgil here. Gird him with a straight reed and bathe his face to wipe all traces of defilement from it. For it would not be fitting to appear, his eyes still dimmed by any mist, before the minister, the first from paradise. And so they go, these are symbols of humility, the the reed, he should be girded with it, and then they go down to the shore. This is one of my favorite images in the Purgatory, and it comes right at the, at the very beginning. Um, I'll have to read it because um, this is right at the end of Canto 1. So they go down and you could imagine maybe they kind of splash the water up on themselves or uh, maybe Dante kind of just dunks himself in. You know, they're covered with all the smoke, as you said, from hell. But no, something really beautiful transpires between the two of them. Here's what Dante the poet says. When we came to a place where the dew can hold its own against the sun because it's protected by a breeze, my master gently spread his hands upon the grass. So the image we have is of Virgil reaching down and kind of collecting the dew onto his um, hands from the from the grass that's there in the and by, by the ocean. And I, who understood what he intended, raised my tear-stained cheeks. And the image is even better than that of soot, right? He's covered with soot, but there's mm-hmm. tracks through his face because he's been weeping also at the horrors that he had just seen. And then Dante goes on, and he, Virgil, restored the color hell had obscured in me. So Virgil, right, with his hands covered in this in the dew, he he wipes away the the soot like a like a a parent wiping away from their child. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea. I mean, it's a lot compressed in these verses, but Dante is saying it's not that hell had covered me over or that my nature was defiled. It's that. It's that I had this on me, but this uh, it's capable of being washed away. And underneath that hellish exterior, there's still this um, good underneath it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And Dante's cheeks are, are 
here. And he um, he plucks the reed out and another one springs back in its place, which is um, an image of resurrection as well. Mm-hmm. So we have this baptism, this personal touch, the restoration of original nature, and then resurrection, all right in the kind of compressed few verses right at the end of the first canto. Yeah, it is beautiful. And um, I, again, that theme of color, and then even with Cato's words, I love going forward, just the theme of sight and how Dante's ability to see is just going to get ever more expanded and strengthened, um, especially in the Paradiso. It's really quite wonderful. That's right. The par- the Paradiso, in, in some ways, the Purgatory is all about reshaping his loves mm-hmm. um, so that he loves rightly. The Paradiso is all about reshaping his sight so that he can understand more fully um, who mm-hmm. and what it is that God is, which is an amazing thing. But that but both are happening as he's ascending now. Thanks for joining us for this fourth installment of our Lenten Dante series, our first with him and his Purgatorio. Our next two episodes will uh, continue that journey upward and onward uh, as we ascend the, uh, this mountain. And uh, those two episodes will uh, appear before the end of the, the liturgical season of Lent, uh, before the high holy days of the Easter Triduum. And then fittingly, our final three episodes of this series, in, in fact, won't be uh, Lenten at all. They'll be in the Easter season as we explore paradise with Dante. So uh, to make sure that you don't miss any of those episodes, uh, be sure to uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcast to this show. And then the next time that we're together, we will begin the process of shedding our pride and uh, growing in the virtue of humility, which is certainly necessary for our entry uh, eventually into paradise and to aid our ascent of Mount Purgatory. Until then, though, let's continue journeying further up and further in.